The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. As children, we are forever asking the question, why? Yet, at some point, as we move into adulthood, the question gets easily answered with something similar to, just because. Why did we stop asking why? Welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show, a program where we not only strive to answer those why questions, but we'll find out how to ask more and not settle for just because. Now, here's Mickey Ellison. Good morning and welcome to the Mickey Ellison Show. We are today with a return guest, David Simpson, and we are actually going to go into some of those why questions. And some of these things we're going to ask why about are things that you will have to stop and think because you're going to have, they're going to challenge maybe some of the things you've been taught in school, some of the things you've been taught in some other areas of life. Um, one of the areas we're going to hit on is inflation. We're going to hit on uh, cost of college education. We're going to hit on minimum wage, which is always, always, always a topic that that hits emotion sometimes versus actual reality. Um, today, again, we have David Simpson with us on the show. David is the author of uh, Financial Sanity and Three Easy Steps. He is a financial planner, also does the same thing that I do for a living. And before we get going, I'm going to try to remember this a couple of times. I have... A few copies of this book that if the first five people that email me at mickey at money-planning.com, if you want one of those books, I will sign it and send it on to David. He doesn't know he's supposed to sign it, but I'll send it to him and he'll sign it and forward it to you as well. But David, hey, thanks for coming on again today. It's always a pleasure, Mickey, and I look forward to some uh, spirited conversation. All righty. Well, you're the expert on some of these things because you you actually saw the light well before I did in, in this in this industry. And you know, mine's been an evolution of going from being angry at the industry, being angry at myself, and then finally looking at you know, I don't know that it's necessarily the industry that is so so. It's not evil. It's that they just haven't started to to think about it. I sent you an email the other day, and it sounds this sounds stupid. I'm going to read this out loud, and then you tell me what I'm referring to. All right, Dave? Okay, sure. All right, since you sent the email, you already know the answer to the question, by the way, since I sent it to you. All right, let's say you live in a house that, that you like just fine, David. But I am, and my cronies running the government here in my local town have uh, decided that we need to get economic activity going in residential homes, and we want you to move. But you don't want to move. Right. Uh, unbeknownst to you, there's a brush fire that's heading toward your house. Okay? And your house is going to burn. So you can either leave your house or you can die. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are your choices. Now, the evil part of this is that you don't know that it was my cronies and I that actually uh, we started this, this fire because we need you to move. Why not? Um, there we go. So you don't know we started the fire. Fires just naturally occur. They just they, they do happen. You hit lightning strikes, and we have forest fires that have been going on forever. So you finally say, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want to die, so I'm going to leave and, and buy myself a new house. After you do that, we decide, well, heck, we'll go put out that fire, and now we've got two houses that have been sold. So the next time 
we decide we want to want residential uh, real estate to start moving again, we're going to set another fire. And this time, instead of selling two houses, we're going to sell four. Then we're going to sell eight. Then we're going to sell 16, multiplying to infinity. But sooner or later, we have set so many fires that one of those fires gets out of control and it burns down all the houses. Yeah. What am I explaining? Well, you got two things going there. We're going to talk about one first, but uh, it, the whole idea of, uh, of a market economy being managed and manipulated by a, sele- a select group of people uh, who ostensibly know better than the rest of us um, and then doing dangerous things like starting fires to accomplish their end. Now, what's the fire? I think the fire you're describing is inflation. Yep. And, you know, the, the cabal that, that manages this whole thing is called the Federal Reserve, and, uh, you know, people can debate whether or not this is evil intended or whether this is just an evil consequence uh, or whatever. You know, in the back of my book, by the way, my book is basically a financial planning book with just a bunch of resources for people to go to to get some good common sense knowledge. But I, but I put an essay that I wrote in there some years ago um, about a kind of a, a similar topic that you're talking about. Um, I've gotten several responses to that essay. and I think it's probably the most contentious thing in the book. Um, but if you meditate on money at all, um, you realize there's some strange thing going on here, and it's not too much different from uh, a forest fire burning houses down to create economic activity. <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but somehow other people justify it by saying, oh, look, we got, we got more economy going, we got more house building going. You go, yeah, but you just destroyed 50 houses to do it. That doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, it's just like, very, it's very just like you. stuff these days. It, it, I think it's a, a disconnect from what – from people's actual work compared to money. People don't look at their, their, their work is actually the money. It's That's just right. the currency right. itself is just a symbol of it. And basically what they're doing and, and, and purposely trying to do, and hopefully they, they, they think they can actually control it, and uh, whether they can or not, we'll find out. But what, what they're basically doing is they're saying, you know what, David, the work that you did today, is not as worth as much money as it was tomorrow because if you were to take that money and put it into a bank account paying 0% interest, you are losing value each and every day. And yeah. what they're basically doing to you is going forcing you to go spend that money or you're going to lose it, which creates – it does create economic activity. Does, now, does it create economic activity that David really wanted to be a part of? Right. No, it's a distortion of the economy. Um, and, and I think that's really the principal point. Well, there's, there's another one too, by the way. I was reading, you know, I send you some of these sometimes, but I was reading one of these, uh, an essay by a guy on uh, an, uh, a website that's kind of a financial, bunch of financial advisors getting together trying to advise people through just educational articles it's called Seeking Alpha. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, I read one, and the guy's arguing that there's such a thing as benign, stable inflation. That was the word he used. Well, it can't be benign because it's diluting the value of everyone's money, which is what you're talking about. If you hold it, it's losing value. So therefore, someone's stealing from you. Uh, and the question is, who's doing the stealing? And the answer in the simplest ways is just to say, well, the first person who got to use the new money. Well, who's the first person who gets to use the new money? The government. Uh, they get it from the Federal Reserve, and they put it into circulation by spending it on either on a project or creating a new program or just giving it away to the bank to lend. Um, but when they do that, they took the greatest value of money, meaning the money that currently existed, and they depreciated it by whatever percent of uh, new money they created. And so they got the highest use, and the rest of us get to, uh, to lose our savings accounts. 
how fair is that? It it doesn't sound real fair to me, and and it's unfortunate that that our industry at, at times is so caught up in what the Federal Reserve is doing. You know, I actually have a quote over here. Um, this is from a a pretty famous guy that 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 uh, I think was pretty smart. The quote is. Uh, he says, a private central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of people than a standing army. Yeah. We must not let our rulers load us with perpetual debt. And, and what we got? <laughs> I'll give you a test. Do you know who that was? I've asked either Jefferson or Franklin. I can't remember who said it. That was, well, it's attributed to Jefferson on this website that I'm having, but I think yeah. Franklin yeah. had had some similar things that he had said as well. And it is just one of those things where we have just learned to accept that inflation is, is a normal part of life. And, you know, maybe there is a little bit of inflation that would go on, but not, not a whole heck of a lot. But what happens is they're trying to generate activity. What are they doing right now trying to we'll, we'll keep an interest rate low what, that they tell us? What, what bubble burst in, in 2008? Well, it was a real estate bubble, um, which I think they're kind of reinflating, by the way. Um, and, and then there's been several others. But, I mean, I, I don't really know if you could say it was just one. They say it's one, but I, I don't really right. buy it. Um, but anyway, I think it was. I think it's a real estate idea, uh, and they're keeping interest rates low to force lenders to lend money again, uh, and to get businesses borrowing money again. Um, and by the way, all that actually um, has quote unquote worked. If you call destroying an economy working, um, uh-huh. I mean corporate debt is up, individual debt is up, uh, foreign uh, debt. By the way, the emerging markets are incurring new debt because they say, well, hey, why don't we get on this gig? We can borrow for cheap. We can borrow cheap dollars. Um, they're blowing the bubble up again. We're going to have another. Well, of course, we have the financial crisis too, along with the real estate. Uh, I think those two were coexistent. Um, they're doing it again. They're going to do it again in a bigger measure this time. Do they just continue continue to do it, do that, David, until eventually the thing totally explodes? And, and those of us that are innocent out here are, are what? What do we do at that point? Because it, it just is so. I think most of us hate to be manipulated in anything that we do. And good gosh, Bubba, we are so we are so manipulated, and we don't even know that we're being manipulated. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, you know, I the, ask a simple. Go ahead. The, well, the end game is is an interesting question because some people say, well, it doesn't make any sense that these are the capitalists who are who are doing this. Why would they destroy their own businesses? And so, yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense. So you say, okay, what is the end game? Well, I have a my particular view of the end game is probably in the minority. Um, I, I believe that their their goal right now, I think there's two goals. There's a long, well, short one and a long one. I think the, the short term goal is they really do want to destroy national currencies, um, meaning they want an international currency because they think once you you know a central bank only works so good if it's central for everyone. Well, we have right now we have national central banks. They want an international one, and the only way to get that is to destroy uh, national currencies. So I think the short term goal is see for a long time this process has been going on and no one was saying anything about it, which I always thought was kind of curious. Well, lately everyone's saying something about it. I mean, it, the whole world is talking about. Um, the, you know the debt crisis, the the Fannie Mae's, Freddie Mac's, the you know Lehman Brothers going out of business. Everyone's acting like, gosh, we have a real serious money problem. Well, we've had a serious money problem for eighty years. Um, right. Why is it news now? Well, it's news now because I think I think now they're ready to do the final mechanism, which is get us all so scared 
of a complete implosion of the financial system that will go ahead and sell away our, our, our money for security again, as we do too many times, and say, basically say, okay, well, if you'll give me uh, good money again, meaning the new currency they come up with, um, I'll let you go ahead and take over my retirement account or I'll let you take over my house note or, I mean, my, my house worth or whatever, uh, sell my mortgage away to the Chinese or something. Um, I think that's the, the, the short-term goal. The long-term goal, I, it, to me, it's got to be international socialism. I mean, I don't see where else this is headed uh, besides a collective uh, being run by a very small group of people and, and us be the, the willing slaves in the, in the maneuver. Well, I think in, in a lot of the the information that you'll look up, I, I did a show a couple weeks ago on, on Common Core, and I think it is an area where many of the elites, they call us human capital. That's right. And, and, and that, I don't consider my, what are we, cows? Uh, are we, are we, I, I, it just is, just Me, blows great, my that's mind. a great observation. I was at a meeting last night, and the guy said that exact thing. He said, Common Core is nothing more than a, a workforce training. He goes, they're not into education. Education used to be about making uh, the human being reach its fullest potential. And what, what, what that potential, potential was was unknown because the individual was a unique creation of God. And so, therefore, that person could turn into whatever he or she wanted to be based on the education that lent himself to, to dreaming, if you will, to, to using that intellect at its highest capacity. That was making a man be the fullest extent of man. Now they want us to be exactly what you said, which is a monkey that presses a button that gets a job done because they're going to have all the industries and all the money that runs the industries, and they just need people to push the buttons. Exactly right, and that is actually a good segue into what we're going to talk about in the next segment. We are coming up on a break. I do. I have David Simpson with me, author of Financial Sanity and Three Easy Lessons. If you want a copy of the book signed by uh, yours truly and, and David himself, I have five that I'm willing to give out to the first five that email me at mickey at money-planning. We're going to talk about education, and we're going to talk about the cost of it when we get back from this break. of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. You 
are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show. David Simpson, author of Financial Sanity in Three Easy Lessons, is on the on the show with us today. Uh, if you email me, Mickey at money-planning.com, the first five of you that do so will get a signed copy by yours truly and uh, and David. I will forward it to David, and David will sign the. He he did. I got. I volunteered you a couple minutes ago for that, David. You didn't know I was going to do that. Yeah, but, well, uh, you, know, you got me to sign you a book, and I made you this nice. <laughs> little epigram in the front you probably like that one so much you want me to do that for other people too don't you <laughs> I, I do really appreciate it it was uh um you, the, there's so much wisdom in the book and, and i would you know i would like to do maybe one day again some of the topics in the book a show on that but we're talking in the last segment we were hitting on inflation a little bit and i mentioned that we would talk about the cost of college going into into this segment but let's go back real quick to the the uh question of inflation and let's i, I want to Ask the question that I put on the show description that says, um, we, we've always heard that a little inflation is a good thing. Uh, why is it and for whom, David? Well, it's not. I would say it's not. So I'm going to take the counter position. But um, the, the theory as to why it would be is um, an economy is not a static thing. An economy is something that can grow uh, by virtue of productivity. That's the concept. And so the idea that inflation is necessary came from the idea that, well, if your productivity is increasing and your currency doesn't increase, in other words, the amount of currency circulating, then you will actually lose the ability to pay for goods and services because there's actually no money to do so. I think there's a little fallacious reasoning in there uh, because, you know, you don't have to use currency to trade. You can use other things. Plus, you can divide currency. Currency can be split. If you have a dollar, you can make it 50 cents or 25 cents or even a dime or, or less. So you could divide the currency and make, quote-unquote, more pieces of it. And mm-hmm. since they'd presumably be worth more, since you have more production going on, you really don't need to increase the dollars. But the theory was always, well, we, we have experienced times where we had currency shortages. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's the theory. And since we did, we need this ever-expanding currency to meet ever-expanding production. Well, that's all well and good so long as the two things stay in sync. In other words, if your dollar bills, the amount of dollars in circulation go up at the same rate as your production, then you're okay. There's actually no inflation. But what happens usually is the person issuing that currency gets a little greedy, and they say, you know, if we issue a little bit more of this, we can get a little more bang for our buck, meaning we can steal some money from everyone else. Uh, why don't we do that? Explain, and, explain uh, that. How, does, how do they steal money from you and I if they're, if they're controlling that? Yeah, they steal it from first use, you know, which is the, the idea that, okay, if, you have a, if there's $100 out there and 100 apples out there, let's just keep a real simple example, and each, each apple is worth a dollar, then obviously you can trade apples for dollars all day long, right? Right. Um, and no one's going to be harmed in that operation. But if someone were to create two new dollars um, and nobody knows it, and everyone always still presumes that one apple is worth one dollar, but you secretly have made two new ones, and then you get to throw those into circulation. Well, you just got an apple for a dollar, but there's actually $102. So now all the other $100 are now actually worth a little bit less. The more of something there is, the less, it, the less value there is. So you um, actually have the apple, which has, has the real value, and you traded one piece of paper for that apple that is actually worth more than 
one dollar. That's right. And if you use the, you know, the math is pretty bad here, but obviously the, the amount of currency went up by 2%, roughly, $2 over wow. 100. And so now you've, just, you've made every other dollar worth about 2% less. That's probably a little, actually a bit overstated, but you get the idea. And so you just gave 98 cents away for the $1 Apple uh, because you had first use of those two fake dollars. And so that's how the stealing goes on is the first use of the new money. Um, it dilutes the value of all the other currency, now, again, if two new apples would have come into creation, well, that would have been fine. It would have kept a, a static relationship. Yeah, but that's one not, for that's one, right? what happens. Yeah, and, and we often hear in, in this industry um, the fear of deflation. Now, I'm going to give you an example of deflation that you're listening to the show. I want you to think about this. Um, an example of deflation would be probably 10 years ago, 15 years ago, plasma televisions came out, and they cost about uh, – I don't know, for a 50-inch plasma TV, it might have cost ten dollars or $15,000. Today, actually, you're not even buying plasma TVs. I bought a 48-inch, I think it was, uh, smart TV about two years ago for $600. Yeah. That's, would that be considered deflation? Well, not really. Well, it's possibly, Mickey. You know, the, the, there's problems with the inflation-deflation issue is that we have definitional issues that we don't always resolve. Most people will say inflation is a rise in prices, which I don't agree with that definition. I say it's not. It's an increase of the amount of currency in circulation. Now, that's also an oversimplified definition. It is an increase of of, of money in circulation, but it's an increase of money in circulation without a corresponding increase in production. I think what happens in the scenarios you're talking about is that we actually – do see some technological advances. We do see some production advance. You know, you know, there were some some savings of cost in production and, and also in uh, technology and so on that drives the cost down. Um, but that's not to me. That wouldn't be deflation just because your prices are receding. Because I don't think that prices increasing is necessarily inflation. I just think gotcha. that's a function of the market. There's a greater supply um, to a lesser demand. They've also increased technologically. They can put them out cheaper. Um, of course, these days, part of that is they're building them with slave labor, so that's probably right. immoral, but um, well, I mean, uh, there's a lot we, of issues that go into why costs go down, but that's not necessarily deflation. Uh, it, deflation would actually be the opposite, which would be a decreasing amount of currency or an overload of production with no change in currency. So here's an example of deflation, I think, in the, realist, in the most real sense. What if we have a real bad economic downturn and everyone tries to sell their car that they have a note on because they can no longer afford the note? Well, if you put 50,000 cars on the market tomorrow in a little town that has maybe 50,000 people in it, no one's going to buy that vehicle, and you could put the price at, at 10,000, then 9,000, then 8,000, then 2,000, and they're still not getting bought. Why? Overload of production, no change in currency or the value of the currency, no one wants them. Um, that would be a, a real deflationary impact in a bad economy. Sure, sure. So, well, let, let's move on to the next one. I know that uh, if you have questions on these these topics, you can email myself, and I'll, I'll I can email David. We can get you in touch with him. But let's go on to college education, and this is an area that to me is one of the most frustrating things in in our industry is trying to help people plan for college education. The, I think I read somewhere the the average tuition is going up at about a rate of of seven percent, something like that per year. Yeah. And you know that's to say, if you walked into my office today and you had a kid that was 10 years old and you looked at the cost of going here in Kansas, you may be going to KU, down there you may be going to LSU, but say the cost of college is uh, $10,000 today. I'm just making that number up for tuition. 
That means that you would have to put that money into an account, $10,000 fully today, and it would have to grow at at least 7% to keep up with the cost. So if you could fully pay for it today, you still have to make 7% on your investment in order to just keep up with the inflation of college. But I don't think the there's so many um, things out there as to why college is going up. And I'll give you my theory, David. This is my theory, and I think it, I think it's the number one reason that the cost of college is going up. Okay. I went back and did I went back and did some research uh, a couple years ago, and I looked at when did the when did the price really start to move up? What I found was the University of Pennsylvania was the best example I could get because they had numbers that were easy to look at, and close to uh, a hundred years, the 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 cost of college didn't hardly go up at all. And then somewhere, I think it was the Perkins loan that was first, mm-hmm. um, and and that came along, and the price started to move up a little bit. And then there was some more student help from the government. And what I think we've actually had is is the number one reason the cost of college is going up so much is because there's unlimited dollars out there chasing college educations and frankly the colleges have no reason to lower their price because we can just go put some 18 year old kid in hog for 60 to a hundred thousand dollars that uh you know we don't care about what happens to the kid and the fact that they have to pay that back later we've got our 60 to a hundred thousand dollars no i think that's a perfect example mickey i mean you hit the nail on the head it was it was the uh, government intervention uh gi bill particularly because you look after 1950 and the cost of education skyrockets why well, the, again, apply the principles we've been talking about in inflation, and that is all of a sudden we have a whole bunch of money, new money, usually, uh, in, in Stafford loans and GI bills and whatever, chasing a limited product and service. In other words, the product and services didn't increase. There weren't, new, there weren't 100 new colleges the next day that started producing uh, graduates. It's the same right. amount of colleges. They can only put out the same number of graduates. And so you have a lot more money chasing the same amount of goods and services, and the prices skyrocket. Um, now, some, and people you know, say, well, David, some people say, well, that's good. That's kind of supply and demand at work. Well, it is a little bit, but there's a distortion in the market going on. There really wasn't an intent of all those people to get college education. There was an intent of the government to manipulate people to go get those college educations. Uh, that's yeah. a different thing altogether. Just that's, that's kind of your house example. I'm going to burn your house down. Right? I don't want to move. I want to stay right where I am. Uh-huh. No, we want you to go to college. Okay. Well, all of a sudden, you've got 100,000 people looking for a college education where there's only 10,000 the day before. It just, it just didn't make any sense. Yeah, and I, I want to be a plumber for a living when I, when I grow up, and, but yet you're going to make me go take all of these other courses that aren't even necessary, and you're going to put rules and restrictions in from local, state, and federal, the federal government says, I have to have these, these federally accredited or state accredited or municipally accredited uh, um, education before you're going to actually let me operate in, in this area, when you probably could have spent the last, oh, say, two, three, five years working as an apprentice with an actual plumber, and you would know more, much better what to do as far as being a plumber. Yeah. Versus and, you know, that, that situation has continued on. If you look at that, education is probably the truest uh, exemplar of, of inflation and the impact of it, because their inflation has not really been nonstop for about 50 years. I mean, it just keeps going up and up and up and up. But, and the reason for that is because it's hard to build an institution that can, that can put out graduates. But if you notice in the last, I'd say, probably 20 years, there have been all these little schools that you see advertised on television. You know, hey, come, come to our school, and we'll get you student aid, and you'll get through, and you'll have a certificate in this or an associate's degree in that. Why is that happening? It's happening because they realize, well, golly, I mean, the people who are starting these institutions, 
you know, why, why should we just let the University of uh, Pennsylvania or LSU or Kansas State, why should they just get the money? We can create a college out of thin air tomorrow, put it on the Internet, um, and we can get the student aid just as easy as they can and still call, our, and call ourselves a university. So now they're actually trying to, in other words, increase product and service offered to the public to capture some of that money. Um, and, do we need that many colleges? Do we need that many institutions? Of course not. Um, but they're chasing the money. That's the distortion of the market that uh, inflation always causes. Yeah, and, and probably when the GI Bill came out, it was, it was uh, what's that old statement? The road to hell is paved with great intentions? Yep, yep. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's not that necessarily those people that did that were, were thinking evil and they were going to be driving the cost of college up to where, you know, my alma mater at Vanderbilt University, which is, was expensive when I went, is now roughly, you know, it, all in, it's about 50 grand to go there. Now, yeah. um, did I get 50 grand worth of education? I don't know. I, I don't, probably not, because I don't remember one professor that I had their name. But <laughs> folks, we're at, a, we're at a break. We're at a break, and David's going to stick around with us for a couple more segments. We're going to hit some more on the college, uh, cost of college, and we're also going to touch on minimum wage, which I think is always a, a, an area that we really hit emotions. But if we will stop and think and ask why and, and delve into those, you might find out that you may be actually harming the people you're trying to, to help the most. We'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes' work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchOfDimes.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You 
are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show. Today with us is David Simpson, my good friend from Louisiana, who was crazy enough to answer the email I sent him three or four years ago. <laughs> and uh, he's also the author of Financial Sanity and Three Easy Lessons. If you want a copy of this book, you can get it on Amazon. But for five of you, if you will email me, we'll get a signed copy by, by myself and by, by David that we will we'll send out personally to you. Um, David, we were talking in the last segment about the cost of college and how it, it's it's something that, frankly, is almost, a, a, as a parent of two young kids, is just a, such a daunting task. It's almost like, what the what? Why do I even want to try to do do this? Because it's just constantly trying to to save. I mean, it, it's we talked about on the previous show that you were on that. In our industry, so many times people will come in to do a financial plan, and we show we throw so much at them yeah. that they just kind of throw their hands up and go, well, gosh, I can't afford to spend $500 on, on life insurance and another $600 on on uh, on whatever type of insurance, and then I need to be saving $1,000 a month. Oh, yeah, and by the yeah. way, you have two kids, you need to be doing five or $600 a month, and hopefully we make 7 or 8% on that money just to pay for college. At what point do you just throw your hands up and go, well, I give, I can't do all that? Yeah, I'm with you, Mickey. You know, I, it's funny. I, I spent a couple of years, and I just had a sensation, that, that just what you described. I had a sense in me that that's exactly what my clients were experiencing, but I couldn't figure out the word for it. And I was like, what, what's, what's, what am I butting my head up against? Something is, I'm hitting my head up against, what is it? And I finally realized it, it's futility. People feel it like it is completely futile. Why? Why do it? Why bust your head? And so um, now that shows you kind of in, in microcosm, because I think it really matters when you get down to the individual. That's where I believe it really, really matters, is that if people start saying, you know what, I'm not going to save, I'm not going to try to produce harder, I'm not going to try to plan for the future, maybe send my kids, that means your economy's crumbling. Why? Because the very essence of the economy is the individual man and family doing things that produce goods and services. And if they start to respond to all of the, the mountainous things that we put in front of them, and they say, well, I'm not going to respond at all, I'm going to quit, we've just destroyed the economy. It's a very real issue. And we've also created a society, uh, uh, the, the ability today for people to just quit and receive money from those that are doing it. And eventually you start having people throw up their hands that are, are producing going, you know, I'm working my fingers to the bone. I'm right. looking at a, a deal on zero hedge right now where there's 97 different taxes that, that we can have hit at us. And, and, you know, maybe you just throw your hands up and go, you know, um, if I don't work at all, I got a couple kids at home. The government's going to send me some money. And I, I take out the fact that where that money's coming from, I, you know, I just, I'll just exist. And yeah, now it, we it, all become... It, it, it is, it's a real it's a real deal. Some people say, "Oh, this is you know these are theoretical you know ideas that you guys are positing that you know that who knows this has really happened in the grand scheme of things." It is happening. I work with people every day of my life. I see what they I see what they see. I feel what they feel, um, and I know they're making these kind of calls and these decisions. And by the way, these are good people too. So even the ones who do drop out and then maybe get on the dole, I don't consider them per se evil. Some people might. I don't. I have always felt it like it this way. You dangle a carrot in front of somebody long enough, 
sooner and they start to starve, sooner they bite the carrot. Well, um, and, and on top of on top of that, David, you're not just dangling the carrot in front of them for so long. You're beating them with a whip on the other side, trying to get them to go take the carrot. You got it. You got it. And uh, we hit on college education in the last segment, and we could do an entire show on that, but, but I don't want to lose track of, of the three areas I put down on the show topics that we would cover. And minimum wage is one of those those areas that, man, you want to talk about getting into some emotion and, and talking, to, and folks were going, well, we should get paid a, a livable wage. And I'm not saying that I don't want people to get paid a decent amount of money, but have you, I'm going to let you start this one. You tell me your thoughts on minimum wage and I'll expand on it this time instead of me talking so much. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, my views of minimum wage have kind of varied over time. I, I've been pretty consistent with one idea, and that's this. Um, minimum wage as a government-imposed idea, as a government-imposed standard, is, is a bad thing, and here's why. Um, I mean, to just simply tell an employer, okay, instead of $8 an hour for a human being, it's now $10 an hour or 12 all you're telling that employer, I mean, in, in practical parlance, in other words, what's he really going to do? If he had three employees at $8 an hour and now he's got to pay him 12 he's going to have two employees at 12 $24 is $24. He can't change how much he makes or how much he pays. So minimum wage, government-imposed, is always going to result in unemployment. Um, I mean, I think it just bears... It just bears itself out because an empl- as an employer myself, as a small businessman myself, I know what I can spend on help. And if you tell me I got to spend more, I'm going to cut my help. I, I mean, it's just ne- it's a necessity. I mean, don't you don't you think that follows? I think it follows. In fact, we had a, a few years back. I had a, a gal that was my assistant that I I did I wanted to be able to pay her more actually, but we started getting so many regulations and so many rules. Well, I had to do this report. I had to do this report. I had to do that report. I just wanted to pay Jen $25,000 a year. Right. I didn't want to do all this other stuff. I needed, her work was worth $25,000 a year to me. But when you start throwing on, okay, I've got 25000 how many of you listening to the show know that you got to add at least another 7.5% to that as to my cost for having her? And that doesn't include if I'm, offer, I'm giving her health care. Right, healthcare, so, then throw in a retirement account, and then how about uh, the fact that if you have more or five or six of them, they'll seem to be mandated by certain government things. Yeah, it, all of a sudden you say, you know what, the heck with this, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly solo. Yeah, and that's what I, that's what I chose to do. And would my business have grown if Jen could have stuck around with me for longer? Absolutely, because she was good at what she was doing. But I couldn't afford to keep her, especially when you run into. A uh, circumstance like 2008, 2009, when when I get paid as far as my income goes is a percentage of money under management. Mm-hmm. And when the economy gets hit, I can't control when the stock market goes down. Now, we've, we've created what I think is a pretty good strategy to, to help defend against that a little bit. But at the time, if your accounts drop 40% and I'm getting paid 1% of, of, of that money, my income just dropped 40%. Right. And I can either let go of me or I can let go of uh, Jen. If I let go of me, let's go, let's go of both of us. Yeah. But the, the minimum wage, I look at it also from a more devious standpoint and, and something to think about. Let's say that you – let's say that I am the big behemoth over here, okay? I'm the big behemoth industry or company, and you are a startup. Right. And I have a – I have multiple millions of dollars worth of profits every year, and you're starting, but you have come up with a better way yeah. to do the business for the customer than I have. But if I could lobby and go to Congress and, and, and go out there and say, you know, 
we, we need to have a minimum wage. We need to have this wage go up to $13 an hour, knowing good and well that $13 an hour is going to take you out of my competition. Yeah, sure. And why wouldn't I do that? And so many times, you know, Walmart's always the one that gets gets hit the hard hardest because – and actually, I don't know of a Walmart that doesn't pay their employees more than minimum wage. But it, if I'm Walmart – actually, if I were Kmart years and years and years ago, if I could have figured out a way to price Sam Walton out, maybe Kmart would still be the big one instead of being Walmart. Yeah. And, yeah. and well, you know, I, I guess where, where I was going to say earlier when I said my views have, have – I guess, ameliorated a little bit, and that would be in this respect. You mentioned the, the, the words living wage. I actually do believe in a concept of living wage. In other words, if I'm going to, but I believe this should be employer-based uh, and maybe maybe church-based because the church would have some impact on the, on the employer if, if he's a churchgoer. But sure. in other words, if I'm employing someone, I shouldn't pay them less than it takes them to live. Um, right. In other words, I shouldn't take an employee just because he needs a job and say, oh, you're really starving? Okay, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 50 cents a day. Um, in other words, there is an obligation on a human being to pay the workman his hire. That's, that's a biblical admonition. Um, right. And so for any of the liberal ideologues out there who try to equate those two things, though, they try to say, hey, your responsibility to pay a living wage can be manifested in the minimum wage. I don't agree with that. That's where, I, that's where I draw the line. I believe I, as an employer, have the responsibility to pay my people what they're worth in a, play, in a way that they can live on. Um, but if, once it starts being mandated to me from the government, it destroys the incentive for me to try to find those people. Um, because they're going to say, you know, you got three employees, you're paying, like I said, you're paying them $8 an hour, pay them all 12 I'm just going to cut one of them. I, I just know I am. I don't have any choice but to cut yeah, one. Yeah, because you, you can't afford to, to pay all of them the, the, the $12. And, you know, I actually am starting to go at a different route with, with looking for an assistant right now. And this is just to give you an idea as far as I, I've got, there's a gal that works here now that, that works for the actual office itself. But I've approached her about becoming kind of a partner. Put yes. it into a, into perspective as as making her just for sake of example ten percent of my gross business, and when she first approached when I first approached her about that, she goes, "Well, I really like the security of 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 the salary," and yeah. I just asked her, "I said, Andrea, let me if my income is going down, how much how secure is your income? At least as a partner." In this deal, you will recognize that it's happening before you, and it might give you a hint that hey, this isn't going very well. well I might better, I might want to leave now. Yeah. But there's there in in helping the employees actually become partners in your business versus being employees. Mickey, I think that is exactly where you should go, and I think that is exactly what all small businessmen should be aspiring to, and that is use the word company. I found this one time, I don't know why I was reading some book, and I came across this. You know what the word company comes from? Com, uh-huh. meaning together, and pani, mean, panis is bread. It was shared bread. And if, if you get to the idea that, hey, we're sharing bread, we're, in other words, this thing, this entity we call a business, but a company is producing both of our meals. <laughs> and we're going to share those meals. And so long as we share them, we're both alive, we're both productive. That's a good thing. But it's the minute someone says, well, I just want to be a parasite on your business like you said the sal- they like the security of a salary there's no security in the salary no um, if i go out of business you have no salary david right. we're actually there's security coming up on- is both being willing to produce to create the shared bread 
Exactly. And we're coming up on a break right now. I want to remind everyone, David Simpson, from uh, he's actually down in Louisiana, has written a book, Financial Sanity and Three Easy Lessons. If you want a copy of it, you can email me. When we get back, we're going to quit asking the question why, and we're going to ask talk a little bit more positively is what can we do? What are things that we can actually do to improve our local uh, society, not necessarily trying to change the entire world? Folks, we'll be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned to The Mickey Ellison Show. To connect with the show today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can drop Mickey an email to mickey at money-planning.com. Now back to the show. And welcome back to the Mickey Ellison Show. This is the the fourth and final segment of this show. And gosh, time flies when when you're having fun, David. Actually, David Simpson is with me. He's the author of Financial Sanity and Three Easy Lessons. Also has a financial planning firm down in, is it Mandeville? Mandeville, Louisiana. Uh, really close to New Orleans. That'll help give you an idea where he's at. Um, I did get a, a chance a couple years ago to go down and visit uh, David and and a, a good friend of his and someone I call a friend who may not consider me that yet, but uh, Mike Church, who has a show on Sirius XM, which um, I, I do. I know I'm on my own show, but I would look up Mike, the Mike Church show. You want to talk about getting an education and make you think and, and make you, if you're willing to to listen for a while to, to him, you'll realize that a lot of the things you thought really aren't what aren't what they were. 
um, you, you'll really start to change your mind on some stuff. But, you know, we spent the first three segments, David, talking about inflation. And, and you know, frankly, it was kind of depressing talking about some of those things. And sure. I don't want people to walk away from this show depressed thinking there's absolutely nothing we can do. Now, there may be nothing that we can do as far as the the uh, inflation goes and, and, and the Federal Reserve and some of the things that, that, they, that they're doing and, and the manipulation that's going on. But that doesn't mean, you know, you and I are both believers in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we serve the creator of the universe. So it's right. never lost. We never lose. I mean, it's just, we can't lose because we're following him. That's right. And when when we uh, we talk about what can be done, I, I pointed out to someone not too long ago that, and I'm really going to be pushing this locally here in Wichita, and if I can get enough pastors to, to listen, we have a society where I don't know, it's somewhere, probably about 50% or more of the people in the United States are dependent on the federal government, state and local governments for for food, for money, for all kind of different things. And I personally believe that in, in inside of my, my local church that I go to and many of the other local churches here in town, there's a lot of those people that do not want to be on welfare. They do not want to be dependent on the government, but yet the church isn't stepping up Right. to take the place of what the government is doing. You know, if you've got someone wa- walking out of our church that's hungry, now, first of all, they got to let us know they're hungry. And we, we, if they don't tell us, we don't know. But right. we also have to be willing to step up and help those people. And I think, now, everybody listening to the show, I realize you, that some of you do not believe what Dave and I believe. Well, take it outside of the church context into your local little group, whatever you want to call it. And in your community and, and say, okay, we're going to do everything in our power as a church. We're not going to build another building onto this church until we know every single person within our church that doesn't want to be on welfare is not on it. We're going yeah, to do what I, you know, God— I think you could, you could focus even, even more narrowly on the family. Uh, you know, if you don't want to talk about a church, fine. Don't talk about a church. Talk about your, your family. Um, I've, I've concentrated my financial planning career— on working with individuals of every stripe, I mean, from the lowest income to the highest income, uh, and I have a, a good measure of each. Um, and sometimes they don't pay me anything because they can't, they can't pay me anything. That's fine, too. Uh, I make that decision if I work with them or not. Um, I'm only going to give so much away because I can't give everything away. i got my wife and five kids to feed, so I do have to make <laughs> yeah. a living. But, yeah. um, but I believe that. If you, you're talking about solutions and, and, and not being down, I, I positively say don't be down, and here's why. The, the, the media will constantly tell you that the economy's bad or the world is bad or, the, you know, something is bad, okay? But, and they always talk about these things like there's some distant war that we're fighting. There's some distant issue like, quote-unquote, the economy. The economy is nothing more than you and me and everyone else in this country's production and savings. So you have a direct impact on the economy. You are, in a large measure, the economy. Um, right. On a micro level and, to some degree, even on a macro level. So what do you do? You make your economy as firm and as sound and as productive as you can possibly make it, and that helps the entire body politic. Um, there's nothing to be down about because you control everything right within your own measure, uh, and that is a very, very positive thing to take away from all this. Stop worrying about the macro level. There are ways to engage it. I wanted to mention that, too. You talk about the Fed. Yeah, they are a monolithic, you know, malevolent force in our economy. But there's movements in Congress to audit the Fed. There's movements in Congress to get rid of the Fed. Um, so you can join those movements if you want. If you've got extra time and money in your hands and you want to put to, to work there, then go for it. That helps, too. 
Yeah, and but I think that's nothing what... else besides build your own personal economy as strong as possible. And what do I mean by that? One step further is then inculcate it in your children and have them join your family business or expand it, maybe multiply the family business, or maybe create a secondary business that feeds in to your personal family wealth. We've got to rebuild these strong, financially sound, independent families that will be able to sustain towns, if you will, because if there's enough of them in a town, it will sustain that town if we have a bad economic downturn. Yeah, and we start to focus on on our family. If we take care take care of our family, the neighbors over here take care of their family, and the neighbors over there take care of their family, and so on and so forth. If we're all doing this now, we are in a position to help the one that is is down in our in our community. And we get so caught up in in the economy of the United States, mm-hmm. like it's some big like we're some big blob of three hundred million people out here. Well, no, we're all individuals, and while. When my economy is good, personally, my family, I think we have a responsibility at that point in time to go and try to help someone whose economy is not so good at that point in time because it all comes around at some point in time. And if we have a community that is actually engaged with one another, we will not just pawn that off to some right. foreign entity out in, in Washington, D.C., 1,500 miles from you and I. Right. And then you add into that whole issue, that's why I do what I do, is, is I believe I've come up with a system that at least is a partial defense against the destruction that the Fed is doing to us. And so if you, if you bring into play some good, positive financial planning that actually insulates you to some degree, not completely, because li- let's face it, we live in this world that's dominated by them, but it insulates you to some degree from the machinations of the bad guys, then you actually will become prosperous. You actually will be able to share your wealth with both your family and your friends and your church or whatever group you're associated with, and that all helps beat back the evil and win for the good guys. Yes, and, and but what we've gotten so caught up in is, is getting caught up in that macro level versus going down here. And, and granted, that the the Leviathan has really done a good job of focusing us on that, and mm-hmm. um, and, and we're be, again, it goes back to being manipulated. You talk about efforts on the on, on the Federal Reserve. You know, we're I, I was actually looking at this, and we have like two minutes, so I got to be fast on this one. I was looking at a deal the, that I got. I think I emailed it to you last night, and it this just puts into perspective what we're dealing with as far as doing it on a macro level. The U.S. tax code, and this is on Zero Hedge, you can find it, is now 3.8 million words long. If you took all the works of Shakespeare and you collect them and put them all together, it's about 900,000 words long. So that tells you what we're dealing with from that level. I personally don't know that. how do you deal with that. So we start focusing on our family, start focusing on our church. If you don't go to church, focus on your community. Don't yep. get caught up in, in David and I trying to tell you that you have to go to church to be a part of this. You don't have to. Now, while we want you to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, David, we have one minute left. Anything you want to add real quick before uh, we run out of time? No, I would just say just that. Be hopeful. We have lots to be hopeful for. So long as you're breathing, you've got lots to be hopeful for. And hope is the thing that, that keeps uh, faith and, uh, and charity alive. Absolutely. David, thank you so much for being on the show again. We're at the end. Um, if you would, I'd love to have you back. 
Uh, David Simpson, author of Financial Sanity and Three Easy Lessons. If you want a copy of this book, you can get it on Amazon, but there's five of them sitting over here with me that I will give to you, signed by myself, and, and I'll send it to David to have him sign it as well. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed the show today. Um, feel free to email me with questions that you might have, Mickey at money-planning.com. Real soon, MickeyEllison.com is going to be coming up, so we will have that to look forward to. David, thanks for being on the show. Folks, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Mick. so much for joining us on the Mickey Ellison Show. Mickey plans to be here again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We hope you'll be here, too.